Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth that you have packed into that word. Lord, this morning as we open that word, we pray that you would find us teachable. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the military, I had a lot of friends who were in the military via National Guard or the reserve components of their particular service. And they were sometimes in a slightly disparaging way referred to as weekend warriors. And then, after September 11th in 2001, and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were launched, a lot of those people who had been, maybe even in their own heads, kind of weekend warriors, suddenly realized their tour of duty was going to be extended. And for some of them, it was 16 months or 18 months, and they came back for a while, and they had to go back. And that cycle's been going on now for a very long time. So weekend warrior wasn't quite, quite what was advertised to be. The thing about that idea, though, that phrase is that at least in my experience, in my observation, sometimes I think that part-time attitude spills over into our relationship with the Lord. So Jesus is going to take advantage in the passage we're going to look at this morning. He's going to take advantage of, a, of the last in a series of questions he's been asked to show us, at least in the Lord's service, there's no such thing as a weekend warrior. He wants us to get that our lives are supposed to reflect a a, a total commitment to God that expresses itself in service to to Him and service to others. So I'm going to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading from verses 28 to 34. If you're using the Pew Bible, it starts on the bottom of page 1575. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now remember, we've had this series of questions and answers going on, mostly questions and answers that have been used, tried to be used by people to kind of set Jesus up to fail. But one of the teachers of the law came along and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This, in verse 28, this is a different kind of question. It's when it comes from a place not of setting Jesus up to fail, but this question comes to him from a place of sincerity, a place of legitimate longing to know. I've been doing this pastor thing for a little while now, and every now and then somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, I have a question. And my usual retort is, is it a hard question? <laughs> um, but often I can tell, having done this for a little while, whether the question springs from a genuine curiosity about something or whether the question is designed to kind of set you up in the moment. 
This guy, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, he comes to Jesus from this place of sincerity. He really, really wants to know what Jesus has to say about this. Which is a reason why, by the way, we ought to be really careful about labeling groups and presuming that everybody that's part of a particular group is a particular way. It's just not true. This teacher of the law here, he is of the same background of these other people who who have been trying to set Jesus up, but he is different from them in his mindset. He comes to Jesus again with sincerity. He reminds me of the guy named Nicodemus, who appears in the Gospel of John chapter 3, who comes to Jesus with a question about eternal life. So, this guy comes with this question. He says, what's the most important commandment? Now, you have to understand, this question comes from this background in the practice of Judaism at the time. The teachers of the law had divided the, the, the law into 613 different commands. 248 of those commands were do's, you should do this. 365 of those commands were don'ts, you should not do this. These guys remind me of the author of Robert's Rules of Order. Because what they had in their head was this kind of process of dividing everything into do's and don'ts. And these commands, by the way, were also then subdivided, if you can imagine. They were subdivided into weightier commands and less important commands. These are the things you really, really should or should not do. These are things you should or should not do. But hey, everybody has a bad day. So, and uh, this discussion about the, the, uh, this, what is the most important commandment is, 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 he's not asking, you see this guy is not asking, which one can I obey and ignore the rest of them? He's asking for the command that kind of establishes the framework for everything else that's captured in the law. And of course the rabbis, these teachers of the law, they had been debating about this for a very, very long time. So Jesus gives him a three-part response. His first part of his response is, he reminds the questioner, he reminds us who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one. And of course, as Christians, we understand from the Bible that this one God is, uh, is, is, is three persons, and it's a mystery. Listen, If you were going to make up a religion, nobody would make up the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, nobody would make that up. It's just way too stinking complicated. And there's an aspect of mystery to it. And so, as believers in Jesus, and as believers in in the way the truth has been expressed to us in the Bible, we accept it, knowing that there's some mystery about it. But Jesus underscores this notion here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. And what he's saying here is that the law does not hang on some abstract code. We are not waiting for Congress to get its act together and pass a law. We are hanging ourselves on a relationship to the one true God. The obligation to love him stems from his reaching towards us. And, and I'll often uh, ask folks, you know, when I'm interacting with them, 
in the community or whatever, about, about their connection with Christianity. And usually what people tell me is, well, most people tell me, yeah, I don't have one. Or I used to. Or yeah, that first congregational church, I'm a member there. And I go, what? Because sometimes we get this idea that this connection we have is primarily about church membership or even rituals, baptism, first communion. But really, this idea of responsiveness to the law is responsiveness to the one who reaches to us in relationship. It's a relational connection. Last week, Mark was gracious to share his celebratory praise that Becky had put up with him for 29 years. And I thought about that. Becky, you are blessed among women. Endurance, patience, faithfulness. But the marker is, see, it's the marker of a relationship. Uh, Pastor Laura and I have two anniversary dates. We went off to Colorado to elope. And uh, we got there on a, and we went to the Jefferson County Courthouse. And the person who was uh, filling out our paperwork for us and collecting our $10. See, in Colorado, you can get together with your betrothed. You can look each other in the eye and say, we're married. And that's all you need. And so we were at the Jefferson County Courthouse. And the clerk there said, well, here's the paperwork. You want to take care of that now? It's a highly memorable event. <laughs> but the next day we did what we had planned to do. We went off to the Garden of the Gods and we said vows to each other. And I was going to share with you the uh, wedding outfit that my bride wore, but I have been admonished under the pain of death that I cannot tell you what she wore for our wedding day. But you'll know it's something unusual you see, sweetie, I didn't mention it. I didn't say it. Not even, not even a little bit. <sighs> it's possible I'm in trouble now. <laughs> no. But I wonder this morning, see, it's the relational marker. We look back on those dates and they were a little weird and they were a little uh, procedurally odd. But we look back on those dates and we remember this is the marker of relational connection. And from that marker of relational connection flows our decisions that we make every day to love each other as best we can. And what Jesus is reminding us here, the Lord our God is one. The law doesn't hang on those 613 prohibitions and permissions or admonitions. The law hangs on a marker of relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And so this morning, my question to you really is, do you have that kind of marker moment or that marker process where you went in on one side saying, I'm not really sure about Jesus, and you came out on the other side saying, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Because without that marker moment, frankly, none of the rest of this stuff makes any sense whatsoever. It's all just blah, 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 blah. So that's why Jesus starts here. The Lord our God is 
one. And so then Jesus goes further and he says, if that relational marker is in place, there are, there are two objects of our love. The first one, God himself. Verse 30, love God with everything. It's not a weekend warrior kind of approach to relationship. Do you remember those ivory soap commercials? Are they still out there? Ivory soap is 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure. I always thought, you know, if they worked a little harder, couldn't they make it 100% pure? But sometimes I think that that ancient ivory, somebody, we were working with the students in our chapel service, and one of the worship team members used this phrase, way back in the early 2000s. (laughs) I didn't slap him. I wanted to, but I didn't. So yeah, it's an old ivory soap. It's an old thing. But sometimes I wonder if we, if we, we don't get that the, our conversation, connection, our relationship with God is 99, not supposed to be 99 and 44, 100% pure. It's supposed to be all in. It's supposed to be 100%. And we look at this passage and sometimes we think, oh, this is a spiritual anatomy lesson, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's not really what's going on there. What's really going on there is Jesus is saying, whatever dimension of life you can think about, we love God from within that dimension. It's about totality. It's about being focused. Now, there are elements that that, that we can parse out a little bit. Heart has to do with emotion, and soul is the very essence of our life, and mind is our intellectual capacity, and strength is the energy we have that's devoted to service. Sure, but mostly it's about those parts adding up to a whole person devotion to God. That's what's going on there. So when Jesus answers this question, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says something really interesting. See, the guy had asked for, the teacher of the law had asked for one, give me the top commandment. And Jesus does that for him, but he throws in a bonus. He says the second is like unto it. He says the second is similarly connected in relationship. He says, love others as ourselves. Verse 31. Man, do we have trouble with this. We have trouble with this because on the one hand, self becomes some kind of narcissistic focus on everything about us. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not talking about loving your neighbor like we tend to love ourselves in our selfie-saturated world? That is not what he's talking about. But neither is he talking about self-devaluation. And this is a problem in our day and time. An epidemic among young people. Devaluing themselves, not being able to see, for a lot of different reasons, external messages, internal messages, social media stupidness, not being able to see their value as people created in the image of God. 
Pastor Laura was serving on staff of a church in uh, Newton, Massachusetts. And we got a call one day. It was one of those emergency calls, the kind of calls that you hate. And we got to the church. She got to the church, and I joined her later because I was the pastor's wife. Um, So I joined her a little later, and it turned out that a a couple in the church, uh, their first names were Bill and Jane, it turned out that Bill, you know, we'd seen him a lot. He's a little grumpy, one of those little kind of curmudgeonly kind of guys, but, you know, we just chalked it up to being grumpy. By the way, grumpiness is not a spiritual gift. Let me just put that out there. His wife, Jane, man, she was about three foot two tall. She was a spitfire. If she thought something should be a particular way, she took you down about it. I'm talking taking you down and out. People would run screaming from the room if Jane would approach them. But, you know, at, at the heart of it, she, was, she meant well. And she was, you know, we always had these little amusing after-church stories about what did Jane say today? That emergency call we got, Bill had killed his wife, Jane, and then committed suicide. Devaluing ourselves can end up in some pretty horrific places. And when Jesus says, loving our neighbors as ourselves, what he's underscoring is that we should understand our value in the eyes of God. And if we understand the va- our value in the eyes of God, then our feet are firmly planted. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm, to give you hope and a future. Long before mom and dad had a clue about you, God had a plan for you. Leonardo da Vinci painted the very, very famous painting. What is it? That was Michelangelo, I think. It was Michelangelo. Yeah. But Leonardo da Vinci painted the... Man, you guys. The Mona Lisa. He painted the Mona Lisa. He started it in 1503. And when he died in 1519, it was still with him. It apparently, according to people who have researched this, apparently the Mona Lisa was his, his, like his favorite piece of work. He had a, a special affection for it. He, he took it practically everywhere that he went. It was his special creation, and he treasured it. And you are God's special creation, and he treasures you. Everybody you run into is God's special creation, and he treasures them. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus is trying to get us to see that we extend to other people the same value that God places on them. A wholehearted love for God necessarily not optionally, but necessarily finds its expression in a selfless concern for others. Love your neighbor 
Love your neighbor. Have you ever had a really annoying neighbor? A neighbor that you just wanted to, like, burn their house down? And if you did commit arson, I don't want you to confess this morning because that could be problematic. But I'm saying, and you know, we've lived in places where we've had neighbors who were less than neighborly. And I sometimes wonder if a Christian being placed in those situations where the neighbors are less than neighborly is not a little experiment in this truth from this passage. To love our neighbors as ourselves. But there's an important final note in this passage. Jesus describes this questioner as being not far from the kingdom of God. But not far is too far if we don't act on what we know. Not far is too far. See, the, the scribe, this teacher of the law, he affirms Jesus' answer. He sees wisdom in it. He understands that loving God with all who, uh, that we are and loving our neighbors as ourselves is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, we don't do burnt offerings and sacrifices here. So picture, put in words like serving on committees or dropping money in the offering plate or showing up for a meal or whatever. Loving our neighbors, loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors as ourselves is more important than all those religious kind of functions that we walk through. Not to undercut the value of those. But they're not the same thing if they're not fueled by love for God. Love is more important than ritual. This man is not far. Other folks watching this had been amazed at Jesus' teaching. Back up in verse 17, as these questions and answers start, they'd been amazed at his teaching. But that doesn't mean they were in with Jesus. For example, I could have been amazed when I heard about the Kansas City Chiefs come from behind Super Bowl win. I could have been amazed, but that still doesn't make me a football fan. Do you see the difference? Do you see it? You can be enthralled with, amazed by, overwhelmed with the reality of a particular thing, but still not be in it. Because not far is too far if you're not fully in it. And by the way, you are welcome for the highly effective pastoral prayer last week that all by itself resulted in that Super Bowl win. You are welcome. We had a little teaser of spring last Sunday, 70 degrees. But after that little teaser, winter came back. Sometimes you just need the beach. Pastor Laura and I went to Cancun once. Man! But how can you tell when you're at the beach if you're in the water? Is it when you're sitting on the sand? Is it when you're looking out the window from your hotel room? Is it when you're right down by the very edge of the water? No. How can you tell when you're in the water? Because you're in the water. You're actually in the water. You're actually getting wet. See, sitting on the beach is not far from the water, but it's too far if you're not actually in. Which is what Jesus is trying to get us 
here. Get us to understand here. And, and it's, it's really crystal clear. Are we in all the way with Jesus? Or are we weekend warriors? Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your many, many blessings to us. We thank you for the ways in which your word speaks to us. We ask this morning that we would be not just, uh, we wouldn't be not far from the kingdom, not far from a relationship with Jesus, but we would be in, in love with God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and in love with our neighbors as ourselves. Father, for each of us this morning, There's a particular way that we can put those things into action. My prayer is that your spirit would prompt us, and when your spirit does, we would move. We pray in Jesus' name.